0: Someone say, praise the Lord. Lord. Amen, amen. Well, we have started a series that uh, we're working through on the churches of the book of Revelation. And so far, we have been learning a number of things about the standards by which Christ evaluates his church. We're learning about the standards by which Christ himself evaluates his church. Before we look into the book of Revelation, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus in verses 21 to 23. Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, You who practice lawlessness. Wow. Why is it so important to look at the messages of Jesus to the seven churches of Revelation? Why is it critically important? Because we see that God's standard of judging things is different than ours. You know, I, I received a couple of encouragements by way of a text and a, and a word of uh, someone praying for me. And they said this to me, Pastor Richard, about, about the messages in the book of Revelation and the seven churches, good, solid sermons. You don't want people to go to hell because you didn't preach on unpopular topics praying for you. Someone else said, prayed for me that God gives me strength to continue to preach the hard messages, and God gives us ears to hear and a heart to give heed to it. Amen? Amen. It is so important. Jesus would plead with the churches, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How critical, how important it is to regard what Jesus says as important that we regard it as important. And, you know, we have to have ears to hear because sometimes we can be listening but not clearly hearing. I told you the time when my son Philip and I, a couple of, well, actually it was a year and a half ago, we were in in Kenya and we were with a driver who was taking us around and we were doing, uh, you know, different sites and safari and all of that. And he asked me a question. He wanted to know about where we'd like to go next. So he asked me a question. He said, do you like snacks? And and I said, yeah, I love snacks. And my son, Philip, heard him correctly. He was asking, do you like snakes? He wanted to take us to a, 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 a site, a place where there were big and large and many snakes. But I heard snacks. How many of you know there's a big difference between snakes and snacks? I like snakes. I like snacks. I don't necessarily like snakes. What am I trying to say is, it's so important because you could be sitting here this morning hearing the same word as the person next to you, but you're hearing snacks and they're hearing snakes. And spiritually, it's critical that we have ears. That's why Jesus would plead. He would plead with the churches. He would say, Listen, please, you who have ears, I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In these seven churches that we're looking at, we've looked at Ephesus, we've looked at Smyrna. This morning, we're looking at Pergamos. And once again, This is Jesus walking among the golden lampstands. The golden lampstands represented the churches. And he's walking among them. And and each one of those churches are literal first century churches that were in existence at the time of Jesus. And here is John. John. And he's on the Isle of Patmos and he's been arrested and he tells us in chapter 1 verse 9 that he's there for the word of God. And for the testimony of Jesus. He was there because of his testimony to Jesus Christ. There's a saying we used to say years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago in the church. We'd ask this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, and I'm not talking about, you know, just some nice social media posts. Not just how you look on Sundays, but the lifestyle, the example at work, at school, how you live at home. Would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were put on trial? for being a Christian. John, he tells us, he's there in this penal colony, this island where all the prisoners were sent during this time and in this region. And he's there because of the word of God and his testimony. And here is John. And the Lord is giving him messages for each of the seven churches that are critical, John was to write down what Jesus said, give it to the human messenger of the congregation. And we see that the Lord knew what was going on in each of the seven churches. We said the church at Ephesus was the almost perfect church. The church at Smyrna was the suffering church. This morning, the church at Pergamos is the compromising church. The compromising church. We're going to see that this this, um, this city of Pergamos was, a, was the Asian capital in the antiquity for about 250 years. This, this was a region that was they were very educated and very literate. They, held, they had a library that held 200,000 volumes. It was the biggest library in all of the world, second only to Alexandria. So this was a, a, a very... Uh, um, an uh, ed- intellectual region, educated, this, this great library, but it was also a very pagan, idolatrous area. They had massive altars that have been uncovered. To this day have become t- uh, tourist attractions like in, in Israel, but this is in uh, what would be now modern-day Turkey. And these massive altars would be to Zeus, uh, Athenia, Dionysus, Eclipses, and they were so numerous these, these altars and extensive and so prominent. And in all of these um, altars and, and religions and, 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 and gods and idolatry, they all had a mixture in their worship with sexual promiscuity or, uh, or sexual activity. So all of these uh, idolatrous. Uh, places of worship were connected with sexual activity. These massive edifices were devoted also to the cult of emperor worship. So understand that Christians were in grave danger in the city that was full of idolatry, immorality, sin, and ungodliness. If you put Amsterdam's red light District and godless and idolatrous bastions of intellectualisms and and false religion systems and drug-infested cities of the world together, you would have pergamos. Now, Christians were targeted because they didn't fall in line with the culture. They were not a part of the culture, they were counter-cultural. And you see, when it came time to sacrifice to the emperor, to pledge your allegiance to the political system of that day, the Christian would not because they only knew that there was one Lord, there was one God, there was only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And if they refused, what happened? They were ostracized, they were excluded, they were persecuted, and they were squeezed out of the marketplace. Therefore, they, they had little or no financial recourse. In some instances, verse 13 tells us that there was a faithful witness named Antipas who actually gave his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was martyred. Now, when we, when we see this, this, re, uh, this church in Pergamos, again, uh, these are churches in uh, what was considered Asia at that time. Again, it's modern day Turkey. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, tells us Paul was in. This region. And the Bible says that he was there for, um, I think, three years or three and a half years. And it said this in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. What a a powerful and, and expansive ministry Paul had that all of that region heard the word of Jesus Christ. Oh, that the church, not just this church, the churches would rise up and that they would be said in Providence, it would be said in Rhode Island, it would be said in New England, that all heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a group of people, we have a church that they're saved, they've come to know Jesus, they're growing In the middle of of this city, in in the middle of the idolatry, the sexual promiscuity, and the paganism. But what's happening is they're beginning to be sucked back in. Let me read Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. It says in verse 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp two edged sword I know your works, I know where you dwell. Where Satan's throne is, where Satan's throne is because of the massive amounts of uh, uh, altars and idolatry. Jesus was saying this is like where Satan dwells. It was such a a, a stronghold of satanic activity that Jesus would even say where Satan dwells. And you have held fast to my name. And have not denied my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, again, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality? Thus, you also have hold those thing, have those. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ears, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Here we have a church A group of Christians, not like, not different than you and I, not unlike you and I, trying to live out our faith in a godless culture in a godless society. But what's happening? We see that there's an encroaching, an encompassing force of sinful living, and it was very, if it was very familiar. Sins to the church, to the people who were saved out of that lifestyle. And on top of that, they're being persecuted for their faith. So it's, it's coming at them from every angle, from the outside and also from the inside. Let me read something to you from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4. Something I like to ch- tell those in the second service: um, preaching is not a monologue; it's a dialogue. And if I don't hear "Amen"s, I gotta preach longer because it means you're not getting it, and so I gotta keep working it, and it takes me longer. And if I'm not hearing "Amen"s, I gotta preach longer. Catch on quickly, Amen. First Peter chapter four. Again, the word of the Lord. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That you should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Look what the Bible says. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in licentiousness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable heresies or idolatries. Look, listen. In regard to this, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. In other words, those who you used to hang out with, and, and Peter said, saying, you've done enough of the will of the flesh, you involve yourself enough in the sins of the world, now they think it's strange that you don't run with them again. In regard to these things, they think it's strange you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. You know, sometimes Christians, sometimes we can be so concerned about what people think And we want to please everybody. But if you've walked with God any length of time, if you've lived life any length of time, if you've been in any position of leadership for any length of time, you realize you can't please everybody. So look what the word of God tells us. Verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give an account To him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, this church in Pergamos was a compromising church. And Jesus comes and he announces himself. And look how he announces himself. Thus, uh, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. If you notice in Ephesus and Smyrna, the way Jesus introduced himself, it was an encouragement. In this particular church, Jesus goes right at and says, Listen, I'm about to come with, with judgment. The sharp two edged sword out of his mouth was the word of God that would divide between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, truth and error. It was a sobering introduction. You see, this church was, was facing the attack from the outside. And I think in life, and I think even in a church and in our own walk with God, we could probably withstand the attacks from the outside, or, uh, attacks of people and of men and, 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 and uh, words people say and criticisms. We could probably withstand that a lot better from, than the attack from within. You see, what they were facing was the attack from within was compromise. You see, this becomes a letter of judgment on a compromising church. A church that had been redeemed but was going back into the world that it was delivered out of. So how does Jesus present the message to this church? Quickly, he says three things. The first is a, is a commendation. He commends them, verse 13. He says, I know your works. I know that you are staying faithful to my name. I know that you are withstanding the the pressure and the attacks from without. And he says, I know where you dwell. You live in Satan's city. I think Jesus could probably say the same about a lot of churches around the world. The way that sin has just been a tsunami in our culture. Ungodly and wick, ungodliness and wickedness to the, to the degree that our grandparents would, 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 would blush if they would have saw and heard the things that are going on today. Jesus said, you live in Satan's city. Wow, imagine how prominent evil was. And, and, but we can't lose sight of the fact that we're living in a very similar culture. But, but what's happened is we've become desensitized. And this church have become desensitized. This church has begun to compromise. And I fear that many of our churches are in the same predicament. There was one person who stood up and his name was Antipas. And this one man gave his life because he he not only confessed or professed faith, but he stood upon it even in the midst of all of the idolatry and the wickedness of his culture. And he paid the ultimate price. You see, even today in some countries, there's this overt persecution. I just got a letter, a note from a missionary that we're just beginning to support through our missions program to your faithful given to missions. She ministers in a a country, I won't name the country, but she writes this about this young girl. This young girl was put in a girl's hostel when her father was sick and then passed away. In that, at that girl's hostel, she became a Christian, and this is where I met her. This is the missionary speaking. Her mother is still Hindu, and so is the rest of her family. Her mother has rejected her because she is now a Christian. She will not feed her. She will not educate her. and makes her sleep on the floor. I felt the Lord telling me to educate her and that he would supply the funds and he gave me this idea of a ministry uh, um, idea. And then she goes on to say, I send her money for food and needed supplies, but she is still in an, in an environment of persecution. Her mother daily tells her she is a curse and will amount to nothing and wants her to leave the house. This is what's going on. This is even uh, considered a mild form of persecution. Statisticians tell us that there are hundreds of thousands of people yearly that die, literally die for their faith in parts of Africa Asia, and Asia and, and around the world. So Jesus commends this church, but then there's a, there's a point of correction. There's, I, I got to use this word, it's a strong word, but a condemnation. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you. I have a few things against you, and what's happening is the people are beginning to now mess around. There was a few that were faithful, Antipas, and, and a few that had, had, had not denied the name of Christ, but there were some people in the church. There were some people in the church. They were members of the church. They were a part of the church. They're beginning to mess around with idols and sexual immorality. What's happening is they're being sucked back into the very sins they were delivered from. Antipas paid the ultimate price. Others had been faithful, but there were some that held the teaching of Balaam. Now that's very interesting, and i just got to take a few moments. What's interesting about the teaching of Balaam or the way of of Balaam or the era of Balaam is that Balaam's mentioned in the New Testament three times. Maybe a fourth reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But we don't know little, or we know very little, or we hear little about this doctrine or this teaching. But just by virtue of how many times it's mentioned in the New Testament, I think the church should know about it. Amen? We know about the spirit of Jezebel and there's only one reference in the New Testament about the spirit of Jezebel, but it seems to be a lot of teaching and a lot of even books written about it. But we don't hear about the way of Balaam or the or the era of Balaam, although it's mentioned in uh, uh, Revelation, it's mentioned in uh, 1 Peter, it's mentioned in Numbers, and mentioned in Jude, Jude's epistle. But Balaam was a man who had a prophetic gift. He was a man who was aware of the God of Israel. But the problem is he was in it for the money. I think there's some... There's some that are a part of the doctrine of Balaam today in our churches. And in Numbers chapter 22 to 24, we hear that the people of God were, were marching into the promised land. And, and there was a, 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 a nation, of a Balaam, and there was a king called Balak. And, and he saw the people of God coming. And you know what? He knew that he could not defend himself against the, the God of Israel, the people of God had won battle after battle. And here they are, they're marching about to come in and, 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 and take over Moab. And so Balak knows we cannot stand against them. So, so he calls on Balaam to come. And he wants Balaam to come, and he wants him to curse the people of God because he knows he's, a, he's got a prophetic gift. So, so he implores him, he pleads with him, and he goes to Balaam and says, I'll give you so much money. And at first, Balaam puts on a good front. He says, no, I can't. And then a second time and a third time, he's filling his coffers with the money from the king. And he goes out, and he goes, and he oversees um, the, from a vantage point, he oversees in a valley the people of God, and he opens his mouth, and he starts to curse. X's and O's and, you know, when you type. Starts to curse the people, but you know what happens? When he curses them, he opens his mouth to curse them and say all these bad things. He starts to bless them. And the king says, hey, wait a minute, I didn't... I didn't, I didn't buy this. I didn't order this. I didn't call you to do this. And and he said, well, I could only do what God, what, what, what God leads me to do. So he goes to do it again. And again, he tries to curse. And you know what he ends up saying? I cannot curse what God has blessed. I think that is so powerful because if God has blessed you, there's no demon in hell that can curse you. I love... What R.W. Schambach, one of my favorite preachers from the 50s and 60s, he's since gone on to be with the Lord, a tent revivalist, a healing evangelist, mightily used by God. He once had a woman come up to him in one of his meetings and and said, oh, Brother Schambach, would you please pray for me? Somebody's been sprinkling some powder on my door and calling on a curse and all that. And he said, you know, she, she said, what should I do, Brother Schambach? He said, take your shoes off and dance in it. He said, nothing could hurt you as a child of God. And if you are blessed, you can't be cursed. And you see, the people of God could not be cursed. But you know what what Balaam came up with? He came up with a strategy. He says, you know what? These people are under covenant relationship with God Almighty. You cannot curse them because they're blessed. But if you get them to get involved in idolatry and you get them involved in sexual immorality, they will lose the blessing of God. They will forfeit it and the, and the, and the, the, the walls of protection around their life will come down. So what happened? They sent in Moabite woman who taught the children of Israel to sacrifice to idols and also get involved in sexual immorality. And the Bible says 22,000 Israelites were slain because of the judgment of Almighty God. The way and the doctrine of Balaam, this church was buying into it. They were allowing the culture... I mean, I, I, have, I have statistics, I won't, I won't bore you with them, but, but statistics that are telling us that, that half, half of the Christians, 50% say casual sex, defined in a survey as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed uh, romantic relationship is sometimes or always acceptable. Half of the church buys into the doctrine of Balaam, basically. That teaches the, chi- the people of God to commit sexual immorality. The, the, the statistics are, are just, are just mind boggling. I have a whole sheet, I, I, won't, I won't get into it, but, but, but then our culture is, is eight in ten religiously unaffiliated Americans say sex between unmar- unmarried adults in a committed relationship is sometimes or always accepted. A culture that does not know what the Bible defines as a, as, a, as a wholesome, healthy covenant relationship between a man and a woman that are committed before God, that make a covenant before God, that stand in the presence of God and make a solemn vow and say, I do. We've lost that and it's, and it's come into the church where, where it used to be as a pastor, when I had young couples sit before me 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I begin the, the marriage counseling uh, process and begin to explain to them what, what is expected in, 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 the, in, the, in the training and the preparation for marriage that eight out of 10, uh, nine out of 10 would not be sleeping together, they would not be living together. Today it's sad, it breaks my heart that it's flipped. It's now eight or nine out of ten already living together, already sleeping together, already committing fornication and don't even think anything of it anymore. I love you. I love them. But you know what? God's word and God's way is the right way. God's word and God's way was was for a purpose. God is not a cosmic killjoy trying to take away our fun and our pleasure. He's trying to let us teach us on how to live in a way that we will have joy and pleasure and enjoyment. The word of God tells us, Jesus said that they've taught my people to put a stumbling block before them. We live in a culture now we have to understand sex outside of marriage is wrong. Yeah. Homosexuality, lesbianism outs- is, is wrong. And, 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 and there's no, God's plan has always been a man and a woman. Yeah. 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 We're living in a culture now where I think we're going to begin to see censorship. We're going to begin to see an attack from our culture that any time you preach the truth in the word of God, you're going to be considered a hate monger. Yeah. You're going to be considered homophobic. You're going to be considered that, that, that you're a that you're obeying to culture and society and, and they're going to begin to silence us if we're not careful. But we have to preach and teach. And look what the Bible says. And, and that you also have, hold those things, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I can't get into it, but it would be very similar to the doctrine of, of Balaam. Yeah. And look what Jesus said. Which things I hate. Yeah. Do you know God hates things? Yeah. We don't like to hear that. Yeah. We, like, we understand God loves the sinner, yeah. but he hates the sin. And we as God's people ought to love the sinner, love all people, but we ought to hate sin. It says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, he loved righteousness, but he hated iniquity. The prophet Jeremiah said, the people have become such as they no longer blush at sin. They no longer are affected by it. Now we have a culture that has crept into the church and we have a people that don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, morally speaking. But Jesus is dealing with this church and look what he says in verse 16. Repent! Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Do you hear that this morning? Jesus is crying out to a church. He's not, it's not talking to the world. It's not talking to the government or the United Nations or the Democrats, the Republicans. He's talking to his people. He's saying, repent. What is repentance? Turn around. Change of mind leading to a change of heart, which would lead to a change of repen- uh, direction. That's true repentance. Not just shedding a tear in an altar feeling bad. Feeling bad enough to quit. Right. Yeah. Feeling bad enough to change. And Jesus said, "Repent, or else I will come to you quickly." Now, understand, saying "quickly," I'll come to you quickly. That's not talking about the rapture or the second coming. That's talking about Jesus literally, or, or should I say, spiritually coming in judgment. I will come to you quickly, and I will deal with this. What I have found that the 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 impact and the effect of culture on the church. That even leadership in many churches do not have the do not have the, the, the heart to deal with sin anymore. We are afraid of what people think instead of what God thinks. We are more concerned about hurting people's feelings than we are about the feelings of almighty God who died on a cross, who loves us so much. He shed his blood for our sin. He loves us. He wants us to repent. God's not willing any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus said, if you don't deal with this, I'm going to come to you in judgment. I don't want God to ever come to this church in judgment, but I challenge the leadership. I challenge the membership that we take a stand for truth no matter what people say. No matter what people do. If they want to leave a church, if they want to talk about us, if they want to criticize us, it doesn't matter. Do you love God or do you love people to the point of being disloyal to God? Do you care? And Jesus is saying, repent or I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus was saying, if the church did not take action, he would confront it and he would correct it. Jesus was saying he would not allow this to continue on. You see, the church was tolerating what was going on and it was corrupting the household of faith. Jesus said, you are in this world, but you are not of it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the word of God says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my children. But he says, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. You see, there was this corruption and this compromise with the world that was affecting the church. James would write and say, do you not know that friendship with the world is you're at enmity with God? If you choose to be a friend of the world, and what that means is not being a friend of sinners. We're not talking about loving people and trying to reach them. We're talking about being being, uh, friendly with the world system and, and, and being in relationship to it. Instead of taking a stand against it and saying sin is sin and it's wrong. Fornication, any, any, any sexual activity, and, and I won't go through the list of them. They're getting more and more uh, sophisticated in our culture. Sexting, sending nude photos. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on. But anything, any sex, sex out of a, a marriage covenant is called fornication. And if you're married and you go with another woman and you have a child or you don't have a child and you're sleeping with another woman, it's called adultery. And it must be judged and not winked at and not negotiated with and not felt bad about, but saying you must repent. You must change. Come on, somebody say amen because it's the truth. Please, don't misunderstand my, 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 my passion for, 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 I'm angry at the devil. I'm angry at the culture of this world. I'm angry at what we've allowed and, and how, where it's co- what it's come to. So the command is to repent. Do not indulge in the sin of the culture. Repent. You must conf- we must confront sin. We must confront professing believers who are living sinful lives. Just because you go overseas and no one sees you, God sees you. Just because you think no one's watching, God is watching. And just because you don't get caught doesn't mean you get away with it. We've seen in our culture some some iconic figures. Ravi Zachariah. I'll mention it because it's well known. Carl Lentz and others. There's a difference between King David and these men. King David sinned once and he repented fully and totally. These men sin repeatedly, repeatedly, and live the lifestyle of sin. And we now don't know if they ever repented. One of them we know hasn't yet. He's, he's hiring PR people. He's going to become more famous now. And gullible Christians are going to watch his TV program when it comes on. God help us. Because there's so many undiscerning Christians. Repent. If we don't, Jesus said repent or else. This was a church that was on the brink of judgment. It was tolerating sin as if it was ex- accepted. First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, Judgment must begin in the house of God first. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not know God? Deal with it. We're talking about dealing with it with grace, having grace, believing in mercy, believing in forgiveness, but also believing in repentance. What was Jesus saying? He was saying this was a church that was tolerating, a church that was not confronting, a church that was not warning. You need to listen this morning. What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is God saying? He's saying, listen, unless you repent, I will deal with it. I don't know about you, but I want to deal with it in my own heart. I want to deal with it in our churches that we do the right thing, amen? That we confront, lovingly speak the truth in love. But there must be repentance. Amen. What was the promise in verse 17? To him who overcomes. This morning, God's not just looking for church attenders. He's looking for overcomers. Yeah. Turn to the person next to you say, I want to be an overcomer. Come on, say it like you really mean it. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. What was he saying? God was saying that manna was God's provision, that daily provision of nourishment and strength. God will strengthen you through his word. If you can if you overcome, and he said, I'll give him a white stone. You know, there's many thoughts on, from theologians, what that white stone is. Many, many different thoughts. One thought that I particularly like, in, in that day when, 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 a, when an athlete won, won an award, they were given a stone that would give them access into the banquet that was being held in this beautiful and luscious garden with all kinds of food and provision. And God was saying, if you overcome, I'm going to give you that stone. I'm going to give you that access into my riches, into my presence, into my glory. Hallelujah. And I will give him a new name which no one knows except him who receives it. That's God's pet name of you and I. Isn't that awesome? But it comes with the repentance. It comes with the overcoming. Would you stand together with me this morning? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This morning, can we bow our hearts? Can we ask God for his forgiveness? Whether we have in any way violated his commands. Whether we've accepted the sin, as if it was normal, as if it was okay. God, forgive your church. God, forgive us. Would you pray right now and ask God to just bring, for, bring healing and forgiveness to those that have sinned? that truly repent. Those that don't repent, let there be a deep conviction that they would not be able to play church and try to fool around with the things of God. And may the, may the church have exercise their authority to deal with people who don't want to respond, who don't repent. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If we're going to have revival, there needs to be wholesale repentance. If we're going to have revival. If we're going to have an impact, it's going to be the church standing up and being the church this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, ask God to forgive us. Ask God to restore the church's holiness and righteous truth. Ask God to change the, 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 the statistics and, and the way that the world is influencing the church. May the church influence and change the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, we pray. God, we pray for conviction that people people would come and they would repent of sins and put their faith in Jesus for the first time. And then there would be the church that would repent of any compromise. Oh, God, you're calling us to be overcomers. Oh, God, help us today. Help us today, Lord, in this church, in this place. God, we pray, Lord, moved by your Holy Spirit. May we be a place, may we be a church that's pleasing to you, God, because it's dealing with sin. It's dealing with what you hate. God, help us today. Lord, thank you for the lessons we learn from these churches, even though they're challenging, God. God, we don't want to stand before you one day and say we didn't know Or stand there confused and confounded when you you deal with us according to your word. Lord, today I pray that we would truly have ears to hear and hearts to perceive. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.